0: Hey you, you're listening to SloanCast, your one-stop shop deep dive where we discuss anything and everything about the greatest band of all time, Andrew Scott, Jay Ferguson, Chris Murphy, and Patrick Penland, collectively known as Sloan. We are your fellow super fan hosts. I'm Rob, this is Ken. Ken, this might be the closest we get to an episode entirely about in the movies. I can sense your excitement from 4,000 miles away or 6.5 million meters if we're to use Andrew measurements. And I'll be running 6.5 million meters again. Ken, I think you described yourself in the introduction in episode one as a pretty together apologist your time has arrived my friend
1: Uh, you know i think in retrospect that was a bit of a harsh way of formulating that but uh yeah (laughs) i this this album this album is uh is meaningful for me in, in in many different ways it's um it's not always at the top of my list in terms of my favorite Sloan albums, but uh, man, it's fighting for the top three. And I really think that it's an album, we're talking about an anniversary the year this year, it's 2021. So we're moving in on 20 years pretty together. I think that it's an album that has aged beautifully and it's going to be really interesting today to dive into this topic with our special guest uh, mm. and to talk about, you know, does the album still polarize fans the way that it did in, in 2001? Or can we look back on it in in a more objective way and really just kind of pick up all the facts that we know after 20-odd years of, of listening to it uh, and dial them in for, for a good, hearty Sloan chat?
0: Ken, speaking of those whose time has arisen, I hear tell that a certain drummer from the most excellent band, The Elwins, has suggested that our album subject of the day is actually his favorite Sloan album. So, listener, please welcome... Travis Stokel to Sloancast. Travis, welcome. How are you doing, buddy?
2: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, thanks for joining us, man. It's great to see you. Great to hear from you. How you been?
2: Likewise. Uh, I've been good, you know, like millions of others just at home and, uh, you know, doing the whole Groundhog Day thing. and (laughs) Listening to maybe too much music, which I think obviously is great, but it's also kind of insane. That and I'm doing a lot of
0: puzzles. (laughs) Well, you know, puzzles aside, at least musically anyway, like I've talked a lot on the pod about being like just worshipping Andrew and Chris as drummers. And I just want to say, like right off the top here, you're one of my favorite drummers. And I'm anxious to talk drums today a little bit. Having seen you perform oh. a number of times, I consider you a perfect blend of, like, the technical prowess, if you will, and sort of feel to the max. Uh, so, listener, if you're out there and you, and somehow you have yet to hear the ones, please check them out. Uh, but, yeah, Ken, Travis, let's get into Pretty Together, guys. Recorded yeah. by Brendan McGuire in the Sloan rehearsal space here in Toronto. The first recorded via computer only, as opposed to tape, because they'd recorded, I think um, – between the bridges, partially on tape and partially digitally, but here it's 100% digital. Mm. Um, it was released in Canada on October. Now, here is a bit of controversy. The Wikipedia for this, for the longest time, oh, it I said see. January 20, 2001, which is, of course, not correct right. because when they played the Live at Much on uh, Devil's Night, which was October 30th, 2001, the album had just come out. A and I have. Again. Yeah, I have here in my hands. There's a BMG one sheet from the time, which says street date October 9th, and then the Pretty Together sticker set on Mm -hmm. the back says uh, October 16th, 2001. So, a little bit of controversy there.
1: This might be this might be a good question for the band. I mean, the I was at the show. I think it was on October 17th in Ottawa, Mm -hmm. the show that was documented on that much special leading to the launch of the album. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. And uh, I believe the record had already been in stores for a week. I know I, I knew all of the songs. Okay. Um, it would have been pretty impressive if it was released on the 16th and I'd known all the songs within a day. But, you know, yeah. I did that for Never Heard the End of it as well. So.
0: So, so let's lean towards October 9th. It's entirely possible that the sticker set is advertising a US date although there is no sort of label information on here it's not like it says I think it RCA dropped in the
1: US in 2002 i think that there was i think yeah. that there was a significant delay until like maybe springtime march april 2002 sure
0: okay well the yeah the the yeah you're right rca in the states the internet says 2002 anyway so we'll leave it up in the air i think we we can safely lean towards uh, october 9th let's say But uh, anyway, released, let's say, let's start again. Released in Canada on October 9th, 2001 on BMG, uh, their first, having moved over from MCA Universal. Uh, Mm -hmm. Released, like you said, Ken in US and RCA. Um, It's the band's sixth album. So let me just think here for a second. That would be Majesties by Rolling Stones, and that would be Rubber Soul by The Beatles? Just to kind of put uh, things into perspective. Yeah, well
1: the Beatles, yeah. I mean it's hard to yeah. From a British discography perspective, yes. I like to use the Billy Joel comparison. We talked about this. Um, mm. so this would either be uh what did I what did I say? I think it would either be 52nd Street or Glass Houses, depending on whether you count Cold Spring Harbor or not.
0: Which you don't, so I think we're gonna lean toward so glass, glass houses. Glass
1: houses, yeah. Which yeah. makes more sense.
0: So I'll wrap up this chit chat here so we can talk to Travis. Jesus. <laughs> um. Uh, so anyway so the universal BMG move would be the inspiration for my disastrous question asked at the 2000 zero, <laughs> 2001 live and much we'll get to that Uh, which we can get into later like i said um it was mixed in bc with dave rave Ogilvie of skinny puppy fame who also mixed smeared Mm -hmm. so there's some sonic uh, similarity there if you will for me like i love the way this album sounds Mm -hmm. um i've got some footage of chris from that new music special that you mentioned ken uh, at the mixing desk in 2001 he's wearing a huge toque and a jacket with an incredibly overgrown mustache Um, which he apparently wore during his European vacation that summer. But anyway, um, I was working at Future Shop at the time, Music Retail, and the BMG rep, who I got this one sheet from actually, um, was just leading up in the summer 2001. It was just all about Pretty Together by Sloan and Is This It by The Strokes. Uh, And I know that the label was pushing both albums pretty hard. So for me, those albums are kind of intrinsically tied together a little bit like at the time i had a cassette player in my car and one side was always i always had an album per side so it was pretty together and is this it and those kind of went together in that way so
2: absolutely uh, i can relate to that
0: yeah man so were you listening yeah so so travis tell us uh about your introduction to pretty together were you there in 2001
2: um yeah i um i would have been in grade nine no no sorry i would have been in grade uh eight i think because that's when I, or maybe in a grade seven, I really not great with, uh, <laughs> some things, but yeah, like I, I agree. Like, I think, um, cause the strokes is what made me want to, you know, pick up drums and kind of start mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. And it really was like pretty together. And is this it? So it's funny to hear you say that. And it's like BMG and it's like, I'm hearing you now. I'm like, wow, I did not make that connection as there will be many things i probably will have you know have just like epiphanies about here but uh yeah i just um what was it i think yeah i was speaking to the guys a bit earlier today like my older brother and i we would watch much music myself more than him and the other man video something about it we just found really funny in a really stylish way like the uh, that actor that kid is just mm. <laughs> I don't know something about like the kid who looks hair. like he's 45 yeah perfect attire little like,
1: mini Mozart thing going on
2: <sighs> yeah like I think I even heard in an interview that like Chris didn't really like doing the video or something but I, I, I think, think it's Chris fantastic is, I think and it's I fantastic too it, like ends with yeah. the springs yeah, that's it's, the joke of the video. So Chris's,
1: Chris's
0: comment, I think, is that he just didn't like staring down the camera so earnestly. He's used to kind of hamming it up, obviously. Uh, um, but yeah, the, j- the joke in the video, which um, I hope most people who saw it kind of get, is that you've got this big string section there. And for the entire video, the conductor is just telling them to wait and to rest. And they're resting, <laughs> resting, resting for the whole like three minutes, 30 or whatever it is. And then just in that last moment, me, nee, 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 nee nah, now they kind of just play the ending.
2: Yeah. So something about like that video was like, we thought it was really cool, but then like the more I listened to it without the video, I was like, this is such a good song. And then I was like, Oh, this is that band that I've seen footage of with that, like kind of black and red video, like money city, something. (laughs) And then it, it kind of just started to kind of the dots started to connect. I'm like, I've kind of seen these faces before. And it was really kind of cool. And it remains to be a cool thing. Um, for me, and uh, I can tell you that I received um, pretty together at Bombay Palace, uh, in Toronto, Indian restaurant, uh, for my birthday. It was a afternoon, uh, early birthday dinner, lunch thing. I got that and Yankee Hotel Foxtrot by Wilco, oh, nice. and I was completely absorbed in the artwork of each record Mm. probably more Sloan and I just my memory of that day is just getting those being so stoked and then just I don't know like I think I completely shut out everyone which I feel bad about and I I do have a tendency to do that sometimes when I'm just like over the moon about something but I was just I just started like collecting music really like I think pretty together is probably my I don't know I want to say sixth or seventh album I've ever like in, in order, right? Um,
1: so nostalgia factor is going to be pretty. Oh, pretty it's it's here.
2: huge, it's huge. But you know, upon listening to it this past uh, a few days ago, I hadn't done in a couple of years, and uh, certainly at least all the way through. And yeah, I, I agree. I think it's aged really well, and I think there's a mm. lot of cool production, like super cool production. Also, it, like it. It's of the time, but it's also I still hear some of the things they did that are like techniques that are used now, which I think it's really fantastic. And I think a big part of why I like this record is it's so uh, melodically rich, Hmm. but it's like it's not just melodies and chord progressions and like it's actually a very funky record, I think. Um, I know that's kind of like a word, but, uh, it's a good funk. Um, (laughs) but yeah, like, like even if you just think about the intro to the other man, Mm -hmm. you know, like I'm, I can't even technically put my finger on and I'm a musician, like in a band who's made records, like, and I can't put my finger on like what that is exactly. Yeah. Like, and there's a number of moments that I noticed listening back um, a few days ago, I'm like. That's really cool, and like I don't know if I noticed that so much. Like there was some vibraphone, um, sure. I think on yeah. uh, that Andrew song. Never uh, seen the ground for the sky.
1: Yeah, that could, yeah, yeah. So
2: it's like it's kind of tucked, but it's it's really effective. Um,
1: there's some there's some really inter- interesting instrumentation going on here. And I think it's the first Sloan album to really use a broad pers- a broad spectrum of different synths of different percussion instruments and to use yeah. that as part of kind of the sonic wall I don't want to say the wall of sound but the sonic wall taking place uh it's sort of in the in the in the, in the middle of the production.
2: Mhm. I think something that people you'll know, get referred to as like it's too glossy or something this record mm-hmm. but I yeah. I really love it like I don't know if that's just like something I like in general but I don't think it is like I I really think the production plays a big role on this record like it, it enriches yeah. each song
1: yeah. Well, I think that this is also from that perspective, you know, th- this is one of the reasons why it suffered backlash amongst fans of the time and possibly amongst fan- fans today. Um if you look at the trajectory of records from smeared up through between the bridges, it was it was a fairly distinctive rock sound um for each album, so moving from oh. the grungified 92 uh smeared all the way through the more like nostalgic 70s feel of Between the Bridges, I think that Pretty Together was the first like real pop album that this band put out. You know, depending on how you define pop and how you define power pop, and I'm of the opinion that power pop is everything and nothing at the same time. Um, <laughs> but, you know, this was for me the first album where I listened to it and said, okay, so Sloane's trying to make a pop album. Got it. All right. Mm. But listening to it again after, you know, after 20 years time, I think it's less... That they were trying to get a chartable album, you know. I think they're obviously looking to get a chartable album, and that's that's something they want to do every time. But it was more um, making use of the time that they had in their practice space, because this was something that was recorded over the course of a year or more. Um, that's right. You know, making use of the time, the luxury of time they have in their practice space to come up with more, uh, more complex instrumentation more complex production ideas test that out and then package it and i'm, I'm not sure what role you know sony BMG's a distribution company played in the final kind of cut i know that they were influential in the radio edit for for the other man which is something obviously that that i think still polarizes the band and, and fans alike up until this day um, <laughs> because the band didn't really have a full say in how that was made um, right. But you know, from from that regard, I think that this is sort of the first album where those types of production cues, and we talked about instrumentation in terms of depth of percussion instruments and synthesizers and this and that, which is still evident in in albums like you know twelve. I think this is the beginning of that era. You know, that's the for me that's the threshold between early Sloan. This is a indie rock in quotes, alternative rock in quotes band, and contemporary Sloan, you know, this is a... I think it's,
0: you can't really understate the importance of the move to BMG here because um, obviously with Between the Bridges, you know, commercially not doing as well as Navy Blues, the album is absolutely beloved, but being able to move to BMG, they were super psyched about this album and they put a lot of time and effort into it, clearly. Like I remember at the time um, coming to Toronto, I didn't live here yet, but I mean, around this period, the, the posters for the record were just everywhere um i remember going to this would have been er, like early to mid september 2001 and it's when the strokes played the horseshoe i think it was like their first toronto show and there was a lineup around the block yeah there was a big lineup around the block and there were of course posters for is this it but there were also posters for pretty together those were kind of the two Hmm. albums that were just being really pushed and um so that was kind of cool to see so so yeah the, the move to bmg just meant that there was a bit of oomph behind them in terms of just you know commercially getting out there i think they really wanted the album to do really well and and obviously mm. they'd heard it and i thought it would had the potential to do that certainly um so uh it, for me like the album's a bit of an island in terms of the discography like it doesn't really sound like navy blues in between the bridges no. it doesn't sound like action-packed obviously um, and like I've said previously, like my favorite phone album is all of them, but this one is like extra, extra perfect for me. Like every single yeah. song is just a yeah. fucking home run. Well, and, um, it's such
1: an interesting, like, it's such an interesting album because, and you know, you talked about the Island for me, there's the first five albums and then there's pretty together and action packed. And then there's everything since never Hear the end of it, yeah. you know, in terms, in terms of, in terms of musical quality. Right. And in terms of maybe to... the artistic statement they were looking for.
2: Yeah. I'm with you there. I think that action packed. I think like, it does sound sonically similar, but it's just, it's so different in like, I know there's no Andrew songs yeah. and, you know, like, it's just, it's, it's cutting out like balladry. It's cutting out yeah. like, you know, kind of just like extra or like, not that they're ever trying to be retro, but it's like, they were just doing rock songs, you know, and that was it's like- also
1: cutting out a bunch of frequencies on the EQ, but that's a different topic.
2: <laughs> yeah but yeah i i totally see that and it's so it's so funny because like i always relate action pack to be like so closely released but it Mm. it wasn't so much like it was what two years or something two years yeah yeah. two years later yeah the
0: funny thing i love chris's yeah, I love Chris's comment about action-packed. And I'm sure on the pod, we'll do an episode about that one one day. I can't wait. But the, his joke about it was that they were like at the time, we'll just do like an ACDC record with great harmonies. And then his joke is, well, but then we re- realized that that's what Def Leppard did or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, it's so I think in in this vein, right? We talked about, you know, I, I listened to this album quite frequently for for many reasons. Nostalgia plays a big role, right? I don't think somebody who came to love the band in ninety two is gonna pick up Pretty Together and listen to it every weekend and be like, "Wow, I remember the Pretty Together tour." But you know, aside from the fact that that tour was fantastic, it's it's an interesting concept for me because I think that the album, if I listen to the album and I think, okay, what's the output of each of the members and what are the individual songs? So, Jay, dreaming of you, who are you talking to? Are you giving me back my love? And let's include the bonus tracks, Pretty Together. That's like an a performance by Jay right there, even within you know within within the full within the full spectrum of of all of their albums, um, and a very Chris,
0: unique Jay voicing by the way. Like again, like I was saying previously, these Jay songs don't really feel like they kind of rub up shrub shoulders with the between the bridges material, and obviously they, nope. his action packed stuff is much more intense. Oh yeah. Um, so again, an, a complete island in terms of Jay songs here.
1: Totally, and like Chris, Chris, the other man, pick it up and dial it, life of a working girl. I love A Long Goodbye, Had Enough. Um, I think for for some reason, you know, even maybe an A minus in terms of, from my perspective, in terms of like the whole catalog, but an A minus is still a pretty solid note. There are some great tracks in there. Patrick Scott, if it feels good, do it. It's in your eyes and your dreams have come true. From my perspective, an A or an A plus, like knocks it out of the park with the single. Um, It's in your eyes, you know, fan favorite. Andrew, in the movies, Never Seeing the Ground for the Sky, The Great Wall, and Helen, A+, plus, might yeah. be the best Andrew outing in the entire catalog. We can get into this later. But what I'm wanting to say is, like, look at the individual tracks. They're fantastic. There's not a, there there isn't a like a bad track in there. There isn't a track where, I, where I'm rolling my eyes constantly at. There's yeah. a couple where you think, okay, it's a little bit cheesy. Like, obviously, they're going for musical cliche here. But, like, why isn't this album... Why isn't the whole of this album greater than the sum of the parts? I, I feel as though we have a different situation going on here. I feel as though like the sum of the parts is fantastic. But mm-hmm. why isn't the whole album greater than the sum of the parts? And why isn't think, this album constantly in the discussion as being like a top three Sloan album with those tracks?
2: I think my guess would be that in the first, I don't know, four tunes, um there wasn't maybe another like rocker or something which i think people at that point on their sixth album were just kind of it's to be expected and they didn't give them that
1: no you're right i think you have to be in the know to appreciate in the movies <laughs> no but really i think that in the movies is, is the second track it's very cerebral right you're diving all, all the way into this like keith moon kind of space age kind of feel as the second track and it bookends it's bookended by the two singles which is a weird way to start an album right so you've got it is, yeah. big giant television like the if it feels you do it was dropped a couple of weeks before the album drop right and so it was well known and so you dive right into that and it's very like <sighs> call to arms you know what i what i always find interesting about rock and roll as a genre is the fact that it's having to Defends itself and always, regardless of the era of rock and roll, it's like it's very important for rock and roll to say rock and roll is here to stay. So, shout out to Danny and the Juniors and Shanana. But, like, cool. this is a binding element of rock and roll as a genre over the decades. It's like, we're still relevant guys, right? So, if it feels like you do it, falls very much into that category. And it's kind of le cheese a little bit, but in a very successful way. And then you get The Other Man as track three. And then it's like, okay, the singles are done. <laughs> in the movies, sure. it's in the middle, and what's the right. rest of the album? So, if you're a casual listener, or if you're even a seasoned Sloan listener, like, what's the
2: rest of this album? Was there a third single that was ever pitched, or or no? Uh, I know good with question. like I, between the bridges, like, I don't believe the word was like kind yeah. of like a silent single.
0: Yeah. If there was, if there was a silent single or anything planned, I, I certainly don't know about it, Ken
1: no i know that jay had kind of when he was uh, conceiving dreaming of you that he'd kind of thought that it would actually be a good single because the chorus was singable and it has like that i really love the beat in dreaming of you it's got this nice locomotion sort of thing happening in the in the chorus but he he mentioned as well that it doesn't really um it never really materializes into something single worthy and i think that it's hard to kind of follow up the other man, right?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's for sure. I mean, Feels Good and Other Man were gigantic singles, like in terms of like on par with like Money City and Good and Everyone, like, like those singles performed amazingly, you know? And I don't know, back to your question, Ken, about why people, I mean, I don't know why anybody today, like in terms of Sloan fandom would overlook this album at all. I think it's perfect. But I do understand that there's, we've obviously talked on the pod about there being like that pre, uh, never hear the end of it crowd and then the post never had the end of it crowd. And I think for the pre-crowd, people who were there for Navy Blues or one accord Navy Blues Between the Bridges, this one is sort of at the end of that era maybe. And like I was saying, musically, it is sort of a bit of an island. And, and, and although it's, I think, like I said, for my money, it's perfect, it doesn't really shimmy up to uh, those other albums that preceded it. And speaking of shimmying, I think Murph and uh, Kev Rock are going to be uh, tickled that you managed to shout out Sean and Ah anyway um, but yeah so because it doesn't really exist there and then for from for people who are just sort of never hear the end of it and beyond it's an album from five years ago you know and it's got those big singles that's the thing too is I think pretty together with such a big commercial success you know it's it's that album that is shared by Sloan fans and just the average listener as well like I think you know people the average big shiny tunes listener might not be aware of the album, but they definitely know the singles, you know? So well, oh, yeah. I don't maybe, I don't know if that maybe makes it a little bit polarizing, but God, I just, you know, listening to it again, it, I was just going to say earlier, and I'm, I'm yapping a lot, so coming off, but, you know, I, I really overlistened to these guys and still do, <laughs> you know, it could be argued today, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, with, with those earlier pre 2001 albums, I think, you know, there are some songs in there that not that I, I don't like them, but I mean, I've heard them so many times and I did, I listened to pretty together a ton too, but listening to it leading up to this recording, you know, again, it's just so listenable. And like you said, Ken, there's just nothing on here that I would skip. Not, It's just so amazing. Everybody's batting 100. I love it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Couldn't
1: agree more it's batting a thousand, but that's for the baseball fanatics out there <laughs> <laughs> I would be batting a oh, hundred um the uh so what what would interest me, travis, because you you kind of entered you entered into the Sloan labyrinth in two thousand one with with Purdy together, and that's that was your first real kind of solid impression of the band. um mm-hmm. what are the things in this album that get you feeling? nostalgic because i know what the things are for one chord and for for navy blues that really kind of that float my boat but it's it you know this is such a it's such an interesting album to be your first sloan album and to say like oh that's the band i want to listen to from now on so what are those what are those factors
2: i think um i was sort of thinking about your question and not actually realizing it this past week but like I think something about the album that I really enjoy is that it feels so grounded in what they do, but they're taking bold chances and using major seven chords, like just kind of all the time and like minor sevens. And like, um, as I spoke about the production, like just, you know, being like, just kind of taking it one or two or three steps further than you would expect from this band, certainly at that time. And, uh, I think I think it's just like the um, there's like this melancholy thing happening that's not like it's not exactly hitting at least for me like the cheesy mark which that's like melancholy can often be very cheesy i find but it doesn't really do that for me and
1: pick it up and dial it doesn't doesn't do it for you in terms of cheesiness
2: you know, you know what? I actually, that was one of my favorite uh, upon listening to it this a few days ago. Cause go. I think, I think out of all the songs, it was the one I hadn't heard in the longest time. Right. And it was just kind of like, wow, this is such a fun song. Yeah. Like, well, and that's point, fun. Fun, right? Fantastic.
1: It's not like Chris didn't want to go out here and write his magnum opus. This is like, this is like, again, another call to arms mm-hmm. to the rock gods.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- yeah. I don't know. I think it's just, it's it's grounded in what they do and like it's just like a great rock band but there's just so much like um risk at hand with like everything else they're trying and I think they really like struck gold like for the entire thing and I think um sometimes the songs can feel a bit like grandiose in comparison although it's odd to say that because it's like well, they've already done sinking ships. They've already done like delivering Maybes, and like there's just there's all kinds of stuff in the past that's like pretty like heady. Uh, I use in quotes. Like so, it, none of this should really be a surprise. Hmm. The album,
0: yeah, the album has everything you'd want from them. It's got the big singles. It's Mm. got the sort of weirder Andrew songs like Never Seen the Ground for the Sky where it's just like this crazy instrumental that just goes off the deep end at the end. It's got the gentler songs, you know, and and we'll get into that song specifically. But I think what we might be looking at here is the fact that The Other Man was such a big single. Mm. And I don't want to and I would never describe the song as like a downer or whatever. But I mean, considering coming off of the singles that they had, like the thing that would maybe be the the lightest touch (laughs) so far would be you know, lines, you a man or something, which is a very like uh jubilant song, you know, hmm. whereas yeah, other man is, is speaking. Yeah. Other man is speaking lyrically about something that is, you know, relational and a little difficult of a topic, you know, um, yeah. but it's a very catchy song, although it can be, you know, somber at times or whatever. So I don't know hmm. if maybe that's the, that's the element that kind of pulls it into you know, introspective, sl- you know, s- sadder song territory, melancholy, like you yeah. said, because really, when you look around the album, like even a song like "In Your Eye," it's in your eyes, is musically like on par with like, you know, "Pen Pals" and "Coax Me" and stuff. Like, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a mm-hmm. little, it's a little bopper, you know. It's not like some. It, really, in terms of the slow songs on the album, there are just a, s- a small handful of them. You know what I mean? But I think There's it because three, the "Other right. Man" was such a big single it kind of defines the album maybe a little bit more despite the fact that you've got tons of like big bombastic rockers on
1: it well and that radio edit too right that radio edit doesn't do them any favors like the the acoustic the the, the acoustic things happening i think it's like the left channel where they just completely cut out the electric guitars and it's only acoustic accompaniment up until i think the chorus It just yeah. like that doesn't sound like the band that doesn't sound like <laughs> a decision that they would consciously make yeah. And, uh, well, you know. you know what?
0: It it did its job though. It got it all over. And, and it's funny. I mean, Travis will probably, you know, agree here. Like, and I've, I've been, I've worked at record labels before. They'll make, and radio will make just silly decisions, not because it's the right thing to do, but because they can, you know, and mm-hmm. they'll say like, oh, you know, you got to change this or whatever, just to get it on the radio, blah, blah, blah. And then it goes out and it did its job. You know what I mean? Like that song, I think edit or not is like a, an incredible song. And I
2: think yeah.
0: beloved. So.
2: Yeah. I've actually, thankfully, never heard that radio edit, although I know of it because of that Q interview they did where they, right, played, yeah. they played it, oh, and yeah, then right. like Chris and Jay mm-hmm. look at each other like, is this like the, oh yeah, this is like the edit version. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, this. this sounds so odd and like, I don't know, the arrangement, just like, it, it's so funny how it's just like, you just instantly know that it's like, this is wrong. <laughs> but yeah. yeah.
0: It's, 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 it's funny in the way that like when you find out that a movie you loved as a kid has a completely different title in a different country. I remember mm. when I was, was younger, oh, yeah. like I loved, I loved the movie Encino man and I had a friend uh, who was from, who was European it's... And uh, he was like, Oh, you you mean California man? And I'm just like, no, Because like over there. They don't know what the fucking Encino is like that. It's a place. <laughs> so anyway, whatever, just shit like that. But uh, oh, I awesome. don't even know my point is there, but uh, yeah, for the average listener, they know the edit we lo- we know and love the album track, you know, whatever. Yeah, um, yeah, I want to yeah. just kind of kick back for a second to sort of just put this in context again, by saying how con- commercially huge the album was, especially in Canada. Hmm. Um, like mm-hmm. the band was officially back. And this is despite, this is like late 2001, you know, file sharing, Napster, LimeWire. They are huge. Um, That's right. And they're just like gutting the record industry, you know. So this album is, you know, a huge, huge success despite this.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think they, they, they capitalized on it in, in the right way. You know, the If It Feels Could Do It was made for Canadian radio. It's not, you know... And I think that this this is something it was as well that was a conscious decision, and that was um, pretty obvious to fans and critics alike at the time. Like this this song was the much music, slash the kind of two thousand one rock radio song, right? And that that again also polarizes fans because what are you going for when you when you write a song? Are you going for something that's going to hit the airwaves? Or are you going to go go for something that's going to hit the fans? you know, your super fans right between the eyes. I think this yeah. song does, it does both, um, you know, while it's not maybe as spontaneously dynamic as something like Monday city maniacs, I think that this is like maybe one of their best live songs just because it, it's so, you know, it, it's, it's really good for fan interaction. It's got those, you know, you've got the, the, the mixture of the Patrick and the Chris elements. There's yeah. such a, it's such a roller coaster in terms of its, um, in terms of its excitement curve uh the video is fantastic and again it's like it's purposefully cheesy like that introductory element where the fans are doing their thing and where you know this song is dedicated to you because you know what rock and roll is about basically like that's (sighs) there's nobody out there saying that this is poetry right this is this is purposefully hitting that perfect frequency of the cheese in order to get a very in order to reach a very specific goal <clears throat> on rock radio and on music television
0: I, this yeah. song hit hit me as like totally sincere when it came out like i didn't feel like it was cheesy at all like i remember and i've talked about this on the pod previously and i don't remember actually maybe can you know where the audience from the beginning is actually recorded if that's from the palo royale or if it's from <coughs> maybe maybe a tour leading up to that because they did um play i remember i went with a buddy and they opened for oasis in may 2001 at the molson amphitheater and uh that was a huge show it was just jam-packed and they kind of i think they played just a kind of a greatest hit set i haven't written down what they played somewhere i remember them doing like keep on thinking and money city and blah 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 and they ended the set with feels good do it which hadn't been heard previously as far as i know Hmm. Uh, and i and I, i think during that show they were they were kind of doing the Sloan Chan with the audience. So perhaps that was the recorded there, which would be interesting because the, would you please welcome to the stage from one chord was actually recorded at Molson Amphitheater too at Edgefest 95. But anyway, um, but anyway, uh, yeah. So, so the song was played there at, in May, 2001. And without anybody having ever heard it before, it was like the highlight of the set. It was the, even the Oasis people who were there who might not have known who song was, it saw the song sounded exactly like you would eventually hear it when it came out. Uh, in october or hit the airwaves in Mm. september uh it had the had the outro which obviously chris was just doing his big scissor kicks for like it's just Mm. built for the live setting it's just a live song yeah even without the context of the album and the video which i'll talk about in a second i mean this song is just a monster and then you pair that with the fact that they've kind of moved away from doing the uh who is it Uh, who's the director who was helping them with good and everyone uh, is it Ante Kovacs? I can't remember. Anyway, I, look this up. <laughs> I feel like such a loser. I can't remember his name. But anyway, I think he's the guy who's on the secondhand views VHS. But anyway, you know, Chris Chris had actually done the videos for, um, he had directed technically the video for Between the Bridges for um, uh, Losing California. And they obviously did Friendship, which was just sort of like a live video. Um, so in terms of music videos, this is the first one in a while that is not directed by somebody in the band you know and it's noble jones who's like a lid you know not to say that the guys in the band aren't like legit directors and artists or whatever but you know he his job is video directing and you know he presented them in such an amazing way like that video just captures each of them so perfectly it's visually amazing Mm -hmm. um it's one of those videos that just sort of like you can't not look at it and and can't not want to just like lose your mind to it. It's just so fucking fun. And the song on top of that being just amazing. is just Mm. a perfect combo. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. I, I agree
2: with all that. I was definitely like stunned when I saw it. Like it was like an epic kind of feeling of like, Whoa, this song has an intro built into the song. Like, it is so
0: cool. <laughs> and I believe, I and I think this is the first time, I mean, I'm pretty sure Chris Chris has said that this song is dedicated to you because this song for people who know what rock and roll is about, is directly ripped from Paul Stanley of KISS. I can't mm, remember if, he's, right. if he yeah. actually says it on KISS Alive 3. I have to go back and check, but this is actually the first time I've thought about that in a while, but he's he's actively in terms of the live setting, I mean, Chris is sort of Paul Stanley a little bit in in, in that he's the ringleader. And he definitely gets into this a bit more in uh, Pick it Up a Dial it for sure, which is the mm. Paul Stanley thing of referring to the audience as people. You know, like that's the Paul Stanley mm. thing. You know, like there's mm. a great edit somewhere online of just in between song banter with Paul Stanley. And it's just like people, you know what we need in here. You know, like he he's just like addressing them as this big group. And he's that perfect combination of like televangelist and like game show host <laughs> and i think chris has by, by this point completely embraced that role
1: yeah i wonder like uh this i wonder if this is something that you need to understand in order for, to really appreciate these types of tracks from the band because there's a few of them but again it's if you don't and this is really important once we get to action packed, if you don't understand musical cliche you won't understand you won't understand like Half of action packed, and you won't understand if it feels good. To do it, you know, and if you probably won't understand, maybe even songs like "Losing California." Like this is, this is a pretty self, not a self-referential. This is a fairly referential type of type of single to put out in 2001. Right. When you have bands like The Strokes coming up, and it, like bands that are taking a more eclectic spin on rock and roll again after the 90s went in a completely different direction. We talked about the promotion of the album and about sony bmg as a distribution label having had a pretty big influence on how widely this was spread so you can say what you want about sony bmg uh or bmg at the time and uh but they got this album out there we we were actually chatting about this uh beforehand the album artwork might be my favorite album artwork i think i love this and i love action pact i love the sort of transparent Type overlay of the different band members, and for for those of you who uh, are Simon and Garfunkel fans, take out your copy of Bookends, which you know I'm assuming you'll all have the original copy of Bookends. Open it up, and you will find a mint condition poster of Simon and Garfunkel standing in front of the Queensboro Bridge, uh, which was indeed the inspiration for the cover for for Pretty Together. But um, you know the the color scheme happening here. I just love the artwork and the vibe of the band, and I even remember, like, maybe you remember this too, Travis. Like the Sloan website in two thousand one, two thousand two, they always go all in in terms of like the album artwork theme. I um,
2: kind of call that, yeah, kind of, yeah.
1: And uh, I remember the Sloan website had, well, there was this one theme. It was sort of, it was sort of a nod to the Japanese theme in in like the japanese tour theme so mm. they had the they had the sloan in the in the japanese lettering uh right. and uh and it was sort of orange with this rising sun type type motif uh and there were there were stencil cutouts of the band um that uh that adorned each of the different pages and so they, they kind of took that aesthetic and and pulled it right through their entire presence. But I love that I just love that they were getting commercially out there and that they were that they were doing an image thing and that was what they did for Navy Blues and it was working again for to bring together.
2: Yeah. Yeah, good point. I mean, I think it's always going to be powerful when you can see something visually in different mediums, you know. You have the video from Money City Maniacs and then you're like, look at the record and it's like, oh wow, this is like completely connected. And you open the booklet and it's like it's all there. And yeah. yeah, it's, it's, um, something my band tries to do is that, um, although I think we could do a lot better of a job, but there's a lot of, uh, things that go into that, that make it difficult, but, uh, yeah, I think it's fantastic. I mean, like Sloan or gosh, I mean, their album art is their works of art. They're incredible. Like it, it, it stuns me that like hmm. their records don't have Junos for like best album art you know yeah i mean not yeah. to say that there's hasn't been good competition over the years or something but it's just like they're fantastic to look at mm. i often it's, like laid the records out and just like look looked at them i think they're just so cool and then like i'm guessing like i wonder if they'll ever do anything like purple you know you yeah. know, like you could say that with like weezer or something but i digress
1: no this is this is a really good point i mean it's such a, it's such a, the haptic experience and the the visual experience is such a part of the whole, especially nowadays. You know, you want that as a, as a as a super fan. You want that piece of nostalgia in your hands, and you want to look at it and you want to drool over the inserts just as much as you're drooling over the music. Uh, and only recently did I acquire a vinyl copy of Pretty Together. This was sort of at the nadir of. Vinyl, i guess uh in terms of in terms of um commercial uh commercial viability uh so it was pretty hard to come across one but i did finally get a vinyl copy of pretty together and looking at that album artwork uh on a big 12 by 12 it's just so satisfying it's just so satisfying watching you know looking at this and this is again you can't underestimate the impact that in this case jay's Um, But as a whole, Jay's and Chris's, their sense of aesthetic and their sense of marketability of a particular aesthetic and their, I guess what I'm trying to say is their good taste has had on this element of the band.
2: I think something that always has spoken to me about Sloan is that if we're even just talking about the artwork side of things, it's like, I think it really speaks to how they know themselves you know they know how they look they know yeah. what each member's role is and how they're probably perceived you know they know that yeah. you know chris is like he's the front man essentially um <laughs> you know like I, I don't know i guess that's somewhat arguable because they all write songs and eh, but anyways yada yada but it's it's funny because they just it, it's so consistent like it's kind of mind-boggling to me like mm. when it's like talked about it but it, yeah every every record is like so beautiful to look at and it's not just the front you know it's like it's the back and how it might connect in this case mm. with like the horizon
1: it's and and this this whole machinery of um perfect photography so shout out to katherine stockhausen for this oh, yeah. particular photo um perfect photography blended with uh for you know obviously super handsome dudes uh blended with um the color schemes which are so complementary and are so nice to look at like this this shade of orange and the shade of blue that they're using here and the way that they pulled that through their stage performances even in on the 2001 tour i'm not sure if you recall they had a a uh sort of a video screen a projector screen behind the stage with various oh. scenes uh from the sort of official artwork or the insert artwork that was all tint it was all tinted in a in a particular color of the official color palette for pretty together and it was just a beautiful effect on stage
2: I, i've actually always wondered and maybe you can answer this but just because i don't have it with me right now but um do you know like the actual picture of that horizon like is that I I've, I've always kind of thought like I did one of them take that on their one of their Japan tours. I just always That's associated funny. it with like I don't know just yeah. there's, like, some things with this record that like you know Andrew talks about that kind of a thing in the Great Wall and mm. like who you talking to when he says like the tonight let's cruise it's like it's so cinematic and how mm. you just feel like you're on a boat at night and you're going like really fast but like yeah. you can't really hear the waves and
1: yeah i'm not sure I, I've, I've, I've always wondered that because we know where the the actual band photo comes from and it was chris's right. living room you know so um where they'd set up a little ad hoc um photo set uh photo session with with Catherine stockhausen but um i've always wondered where that landscape image comes from for me to me it looks a little bit like nova scotia um and it looks a little oh, bit gosh, like a ghost uh, that, there. There's a little bit of a topography thing happening.
2: Um, that totally makes, but, would make sense if it's that. Yeah,
1: that, <laughs> that that would have to make it the sunrise, uh, which right. could also be Japan, I guess. But um the you know, you you'd mentioned as well that tying into the music in terms of the vibe and um I think it's also interesting that the on the actual cover, you know, their bodies are intermingling, the the little cutout bodies and it's Mm-hmm. Sort of symbolic of them being kind of pretty together, right?
2: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So my take on the album cover. I mean, obviously, we're talking about Catherine Stock hasn't taken the picture on the cover. It's uh like you said in Chris's living room he's uh interestingly without glasses which i think is a first um and i think it was said on the uh murder records instagram the murder records discography rather that this maybe was more to do with a glare in his glasses that she couldn't get rid of so he's without them although he's without glasses for the entire shoot so who knows um uh, what else was I going to say? Um, and Patrick is without glasses on the cover of Action Pack, the next album. So, you know, who knows if there's any sort of reasoning right. behind it at all. But, um, and you mentioned the color palette. During our interview with Andrew, the one thing I noticed that obviously the listener couldn't see because we were doing a video chat with him was behind him. He was in his garage, his studio, and he had just paintings mm. everywhere. And there is an older painting I know of his. And I, th- I think it's in a series. Um, it's like an excavator. And hmm. it's just two primary colors. And it's the two colors from the Pretty Together album cover, like this sort of light blue and a sort of orangey-yellow color. They're um, so complementary. Yeah, I don't know if that series of paintings existed previously and that informed the color palette here. I have to assume so. I um, think that's but a recent that,
1: one. I think that's the actual excavator in front of his house.
0: Is it? Okay, because I remember, I feel like I recall it being older. But uh, oh, maybe, anyway, maybe perhaps, it is. Perhaps that color palette has been around for a while. Um, I think it would be maybe a a little odd for him to suddenly be just using the same colors from a 2001 album. But who Mm. knows? Uh, (laughs) Anyway, that's kind of my hot take on the cover. Um, But yeah, and there's some great artwork. If you look online, uh, the Pretty Together release in Japan has a great band shot uh, inserted in there which i actually posted to the sloan cast account tonight just mysteriously in the stories uh kind of indicating that we might be recording about this but anyway um yeah some great photos uh, obviously there's the Slo- there's the pretty other sticker set uh, which I've got an extra one for you, Travis, where so I can get that to you. Um, love. And uh, yeah, love. these are, these are so great. I think uh, it was a couple months ago on our Instagram that people were taking pictures of their sticker set. And it's basically just the four guys as individual stickers with two amps. And it says Sloan pretty mm. together as well. Um, so yeah, I love to see these. I loved that they did. And I think it was this tour, uh, or perhaps action-packed, I can't recall. It was it was action-packed where they did the trading cards. I love all of the different merch stuff that they've done over yeah. the years. And the sticker set is just fantastic.
1: It was between the bridges that they also had a, the universal uh, trading cards, right? So they always have these sort of right. collect the band. I want Andrew. I want Jay. You know, oh, Andrew's favorite color is shark skin gray. <laughs> the, chart um, yeah, the chart magazine. Yeah, the chart magazine covers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, it, so maybe getting a little bit more in detail into, um, into the album again. And I've got two drummers here on the cast, and we're definitely going to use d- d- separate episodes to talk more specifically about drumming in the band as a whole. But, um, you know, as an as a ardent in-the-movies fan, it's kind of hard to top what's going on there from a <laughs> drumming standpoint. So, you know, we talk about Keith Moon kicking the drums down the stairs. This is Andrew throwing himself down the stairs in a very controlled and timely manner, right? So what's what's yeah. going on from you guys your your guys' perspective as professionals?
2: I could tell in you terms. that one of my notes is like probably one of my favorite drum intros of any Sloan song period is this song. Like I sing it and air drum it constantly and have been for years. Like something about it, like its entrance Um, because it's doing that, like, delay guitar thing, you kind of don't really know totally where, you know, the one is or something. And then, of course, like, he doesn't do it where you think, but it's so satisfying. But then, like, he hits crashes, like, not, like, where you think either. And it just, yeah, Yeah. it's so fun to try and emulate and play. And, like, a lot of, (laughs) like trying to play Sloan is so fun because it's like, it doesn't necessarily matter if you're playing what he did, because if you have the energy, then you have it. It's the spirit
0: of it. Yeah. Well said. yeah,
2: Yeah. It took, it took me a long time. And I still think I got a long ways to go, but like, I've said this in a different interview, like years ago, but I feel like I'm like a disciple of like Andrew Scott drumming. And that he's touched so many people, like Dana of the Bicycles, and like Mm. myself, and there's a few others too. Maybe Andrew
1: Scott of the Bicycles too.
2: Yeah, like I don't know. I I I love the drumming in this song. It's incredible. Like I think I even had another note. Like the drumming on this record is just so good. Like it is on every record, but like it's so lively. Like Navy Blues, you know, like those. I think Navy Blues would be my second favorite, if not Tied or something. But like, I don't know. Something is just like, it's so carefree and just like the the mood is chosen. It's just like, okay, go for it. And you can Mm. you already know that like just from the history, we all know like he probably did this in what two takes, maybe one. (laughs) It's it's incredible.
1: Not not even one take. He just did it in
2: half a (laughs) take. (laughs) And he's like, just spice it up for me. (laughs)
0: yeah me too man Uh, like this for me is like a precipice album in terms of musicality and drumming especially like they make Mm. the change we've talked about this previously too they make the change from the sort of smeared era style to the really stripped back you know um i don't want to say basic but just very sort of like straight ahead twice removed It doesn't seem like, I mean, there's some great fills on that album and stuff, but it feels like they're really kind of staying true to maybe their influences, like 60s, you know, pop Mm. music and stuff, like Rolling Stones, Beatles, and stuff, where the drums aren't taking up uh, with the song is sort of in the front seat in, in the drums are kind of just there. Um And then obviously there's a huge left turn with one chord where, you know, they've seen Supergrass and Chris is obviously very much influenced mm. by that, where it's just like fills on top of fills on top of fills. And obviously they're fans of the who and Keith Moon for sure, which is where Travis, you mentioned like the sort of just like symbol out of nowhere kind of comes from. And oh, Keith yeah. was great for that, you know, where like they've yeah. classic like Roger Daltrey has classically talked about Keith playing to the vocal, you know, and, mm. uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, like the intro to in, in the movies is just great. It just like starts with like but 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 the like like where the like you said where the crashes are aren't necessarily musically oh, yeah. where you would expect them to be. <sanitation> it is just wild reckless abandon. But the interesting thing especially with Andrew too, you know, he plays those fills like perfectly live. Like there's <laughs> no <inaudible> you know, even oh, if he kind of tweaks even, it a little bit. He might bit.
1: even play them better live. Honestly, I think he oh, sometimes yeah. plays better live than he does on the albums, which is insane. <laughs>
0: For sure. And that actually leads to my next point, which is like I was saying, it's a bit of a precipice. They've, they've been living with this style of performing now for for about five years. Like 96 is one Mm. chord when it kind of really takes off. That tour is still very punky. I I would say like having seen them in 96 Mm. and in 97, yeah. You know, they're playing things a little bit faster than it is on the album. They're kind of like speeding through songs. There's sort of a punky vibe to them. They're very tight Mm -hmm. and their bodies are very kind of closed in, you know, and they're just kind of really like rocking it. Um, Then getting into Navy Blues, you know, things kind of open up a little bit. There's more, you know, scissor kicking with Money City and she says what she means and stuff. And then Between the Bridges kind of builds on that as well. I mean, the playing on both of those albums is insane. But then you got to think mm. about the touring between 96 and 2000. They're largely playing one chord, Navy Blues, and Between the Bridges, which musically and certainly from a drumming perspective are very sort of like, it's a style now. It's established, mm, you know? Mm, like they're, mm. they're, even, even the songs on the live album on Four Nights, The songs from Twice Removed and Smeared are played in that sort of like, you know, late 90s style, you know, Um, they're not, they're no longer playing like the grungified Dave Grohl drums, and they're not playing Mm. sort of basic Charlie Watts, Twice Removed style. Um, I'm kind of just going all over the place here. But for me, Pretty Together is the sort of precipice of that style. He's been playing this way now for at least four or five years. So that. I think playing those songs live has really informed how this song, this album sounds in terms from a drumming perspective. And then, and then again, it, it completely changes the gears again with Action Packed where yeah. Action Packed has got amazing fills, but it's just a little more straightforward. Straight away. Yeah. yeah. So, and kind of playing to the song a bit more.
1: I think one of my favorite drum things in the repertoire is never seeing the ground for this guy. Oh. Um, I, I love how he's he's kind of aping the lead lead guitar on that song which is not typical but he's a great guitarist and he's a great drummer and he does both in a super rhythmic way like he's a very rhythmic lead guitarist um and yeah. so that introductory riff for never never Seeing the ground for the sky yeah I think it's 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 mirrored perfectly in what's going on in the drums and it's super deliberate drumming and it's not super yeah. complicated, but it's a it's a very weird style as well. And some of the fills that he uses are also a lot more straightforward and almost like like machine gun esque. Um, <laughs> it's it's super. Um, again, for for my perspective, you could make the argument that for for a number of reasons, this is Andrew's strongest performance. And I know that when Sloan's selection was a, was a thing, when it was a new thing. Um, and when they were going out there and getting fans top five, was it top five or top 10 Sloan song, top 10 Sloan songs, yeah. I think, um, yeah. Helen, like was it, I had to think about it because you can't say like, <laughs> what are my top 10 Sloan songs? And it's going to be the same answer every time. It's going to be different every single time. But I yeah. think every time, if you ask me top five, Helen's in there and Helen yeah. is fucking fantastic. And it's not yeah, Helen absolutely. for a good reason. Didn't make the cut. Because it wouldn't fit in. Like, there's it, where, where are you gonna put Helen in the sequencing?
2: I, I agree. I was gonna to on that later. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, as much as a good song as it is, I, I don't think it would fit. I also don't think had enough would fit as great as the song that is too. I think Pretty yeah. Together would have. But
1: well, the ELO, like the ELO, uh, Turn to stone original version of Pretty Together had the vocals not been mysteriously deleted, um, would have <laughs> been an amazing kind of. I think in addition to the back end of the album, because the back end of the album for me, and maybe this is the reason why it's difficult for more casual fans to get from front to back, it's missing like a bit of a rocker. It's missing a bit of a, this is a bit of a momentum turn. It's missing that sort of take good care of the poor boy type track.
0: And just to keep the listener up to date here, we're referring to the official B-sides. Uh, Helen being Andrew's B-side, Had Enough being Chris's, uh, which he obviously played during his solo sets of, a few months ago. Uh, and these both appeared on the Japanese version of the release. And then Jay's Pretty Together um, is, is also an official B-side, although I don't know if it's ever really officially, other than a B-side collection, really come out. I mean, it wasn't out at the time, I don't think, but they were playing it There
1: live. was a... Yeah, it was. There was a there was a magazine back then, I forget what it was called, and they comes with a smile. Sorry? Yeah, comes with a smile. That's right. They, yeah. they had they oh. had these like compilations that they did based on the interviews that they were doing in their in their mag. And I remember they leaked it. I leaked it in quotes. Mm. I think it was obviously an intentional move. But um yeah, I recall having read that interview. I'm not sure if, if it's still online and Jay kind of touching on the original Pretty Together as that yellow. Mm kind of um uh, tribute and uh it, that having been an unfortunate series of events that led to it not having landed on the album
2: i didn't know that. a bit of fun trivia
0: yeah we, we've landed at pretty together so a little bit of fun trivia here this is the j version and obviously the song uh informs the title of the album but also i didn't know this until recently the title track um It was actually inspired by a line in Temptation Inside Your Heart by Velvet Underground. Um, And if you've ever heard that song, it's got Lou Reed sort of singing the main line. And John Cale is kind of having, he's almost doing like a DVD commentary during the song. He's like talking to Lou about the song while Lou is playing it. Um, And so there's a moment where he's playing or Lou's doing a guitar solo and uh, John says, it's not that bad a solo, you know, four times he's talking about that. You're going to hear it, you know, that they're going to count it through four times. And then he says, it's pretty together, you know? Uh, So apparently that's actually where the pretty together word, like that's where that, those words kind of came from. And so I'm not sure if that informed the song first, or if it was an album first uh, album title option first. Hmm. But uh, anyway, that's apparently where that's where that came from.
2: I I had no idea that, like, I know you guys have talked about it on previous episodes, how, like, there was, like, a live version, how it was faster and stuff, which is, like, I actually can't imagine that, but it's very exciting because mm. I just know it so well as it is, like, that yeah. put together in brackets demo, which, I don't know, by all demo standards, sounds pretty awesome to me. Yeah,
0: um, yeah. there's got <laughs> to be a video of that live version out there somewhere. It's got to be certain. Well, videos. it
1: was... They played it they played it on the October 16th and 17th Barrymore shows in Ottawa. I can't for the life of me remember if it was just Jay doing it solo or if it was the full band version because I remember that Chris had Life of a Working Girl solo. So maybe they decided oh. let's do like two like Paul McCartney yesterday Blackpool things and get Chris and get Jay to also do Pretty Together solo, but I right. remember they played both of them and I I, I hadn't heard obviously it was like a week after the album's release. I hadn't heard of the, the pretty together song up until that point in time. And I was just like blown out of the water. This is the greatest thing ever. Why didn't this make the album?
2: You know, Step. you, sorry, you guys say you're saying like, I just don't, um, I just want to know this cause this, this is so like, whoa to me, but there was a, a version that was like for the record, but the, the vocals got deleted. Like, can you like, elaborate on that more?
1: Um, from what I understood, they had the they had a fairly decent demo set up, like a full band demo set up, um, that was in the works for making the final cut. And when they were, I guess, what's the production term, bouncing tracks from one yeah, yeah. source to another? Um, I think I think Jay's lead vocals got deleted. And because they were basically just behind the schedule and getting that that song ready, it didn't make the final cut. But of course, you know, what, do you, what song are you going to cut for that? Are you going to cut, are you giving me back my, back my love? Is that fair? Like, who? what are you going to yeah. cut for Pretty Together? Because we're still working with the CD format back then.
0: And the yeah. album's already at 13 songs as it is, and, and, and 15 in the Japanese release. So, <laughs> yeah. True, true, true.
2: All right, thank you. That was really cool. <laughs> <laughs> Returning to uh, Never
0: Seen the Ground for the Sky for just a second, I have a recollection that the riff, because I, mean, I remember on the Never Hear the End of It episode, we talked about how this song is so similar musically to Ana Lucia. Um, and I think as far as I know, having a recollection that the riff actually existed in the early 2000s, you know, like I, and, and, and that it actually mm. informed the song, um so I I so I, I think I'm correct on that that Anna Lucia potentially actually existed previously to this song. Um that but it was used here by Andrew and then obviously uh it was resurrected in 2006 for Anna Lucia on Never Hear the End of It. So kind of interesting little tidbit there.
1: Yeah. Okay. I thought I always thought it was like a, a a Chris tribute to Andrew's song because he loved that riff so much, just like he just like he used <laughs> the uh the uh work cut out riff from andrew when the band was about to break up like we can't break up yet because i want to steal this riff from andrew
0: (laughs) there's a bit of that going on i mean there's at least lyrically too i mean even uh on on 12 uh chris's got don't stop if it feels good do it which kind of like when i first heard that it's like in 2005 when jay's got that b-side um what's it called uh i thought that i was ready for you
1: that which I was is, very yeah, but yeah. to be to yeah. be fair to Chris, Chris would always maintain that Don't Stop If It Feels Could Do It, which was conceived of in the late 90s, actually preceded If It Feels Could Do It.
0: Okay, there you go. Okay, oh, cool. I did hear nice. that, yeah. Which obviously, we haven't talked about it yet on the show in depth, but Pick It Up and Dial It is actually a lyrical reference to the original version of Worried Now from 1994. Mm. Let me just see if I can find it. I wrote it down here just to kind of Anytime, keep
1: reference time but... if you want me just pick, yeah, it, pick up and it up and dial pick, it, it and pick it up, it
0: up and dial it. Yeah, which sounds yeah.
1: super to... strange from a like from a 2021 perspective. <laughs> we what should, did you, yeah, you we... say.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we should start a band. But uh yeah, I, I know um so on that on the in the twice removed box set there's the version of "Worried now that the third chorus and I don't know if he's just trying out the lyrics in that demo or if he actually meant for the third chorus to be those lyrics but yeah so pick it up the dial is actually a reference to worried now but uh, yeah it always kind of struck me funny that they've got these songs that have other sloan songs in the title um and, and perhaps the, you know one or two of those songs were not meant to be released and then you know they got released eventually or whatever but uh i i actually kind of romanticized the idea that these guys have sort of a pool of ideas that they just sort of pull from and they reference each other it's it's awesome
2: Hmm. yeah they love the swapping stuff it's like the you know jolene and you know that one song song like it's in the bridge but then it starts i can't remember the title right now and then oh yeah so be on me um but with the uh shadow of love being in uh yeah about the terrace yeah they they love doing that stuff and oh and even like 48 portraits there's like the delivery mm. movies. He calls Bitter. back.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're thinking yeah. of Between the Bridges, where uh, the Jolene character is actually introduced in So Beyond Me in Patrick's sort of like
2: right. vocal
0: at the end. And then Friendship is yeah. about Jolene. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: When we were chatting prior to recording this, Rob, you'd mentioned uh, the Riff Farm, which for the uninitiated out there is a stockpile, I guess, of Chris and Jay's of basically like, you know, 30 to 60 second snippets of song ideas that are just based on yeah. riffs um and this is this is apparent in songs like who you talking to which by the way um very 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 smith's there's a light that never goes out um which yeah. may or may not have actually been the the key inspiration i know jay was super into the smiths at this point in time like not that he wasn't before but um obviously having recently purchased his rickenbacker 330 um he had to flex his muscles on that one but that mid part of who You Talking To." Was When I first heard it, like that was musical orgasm central, and totally. seeing it live and like that back and forth between Chris and Jay, which uh yeah. you know line zoom and we talked about already and pen and pen pals uh not pen pals uh, I hit my generation obviously, but um you know that that idea of i have this idea i have this musical idea, and i'm not quite sure where it's going and oh but let's just pull this chris riff from. From the riff form and plug it in there, and then it works out, and it's this amazing finished product, and it feels as though it was actually you know it was intentional,
0: yeah, Chris and Jay are always swapping like they're putting each other on each other's songs, you know um what's the song am I thinking of this the second last Chris song on Commonwealth but oh I'm thinking of so far so good uh Jay sort of sings the outro there, if you will, and then um. Hmm. And then obviously in this example, yeah, the listen very carefully part of you, who are you talking to? As far as I know is like you said, a part of that riff farm, I guess, as you could say. And it's, Chris has got this other part of a song is this little piece and it just fits perfectly right in with Jay's song. And, and I love that song so much. Cause nice. you know, Chris is almost like, he's kind of seconding his buddy, you know, like he's got his arm mm-hmm. around Jay in my mind and he's just like, repeat he's he's not only pumping jay up but he's talking to the person who jay's talking to um he's just sort of there as his backup you know like he's he's
2: his backup guy that's how i've always heard it too it's such a great bridge it's so catchy too oh my god it's amazing
1: how he how he takes that don't (laughs) give up like you're supposed to do line and puts a little like crisp in on it, you know,
0: mm. uh,
1: with a little, with a little squeaky voice at the end, um, yes. w- which sounds, it just sounds fantastic. I love the texture, the contrast and texture between their two vocals, uh, obviously best buds, you know, and you hear that in, in, in the musical production as well. You, you can hear that they harmonize, not just on a musical level, but on a personal level.
0: Yeah. And you've mentioned, Ken, in a previous episode where uh, – I think this was the Commonwealth episode one of them – where uh, Who You are Talking To is a good example of Jay using that sort of guitar-bass mashup where they're kind of playing the same sure. thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah.
2: That's right.
1: Yeah. Boom, 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 boom. Listen to the bass lines across this album. Oh, um, my God. In the movie's bass line, it's super in the mix, but you, you have to listen to it. Never Hearing the Ground for the Sky – like i don't want to say that andrew is the best at everything in the band because that would be unfair to everybody else in the band but listening to his bass riffs on this album like could i could i get more jealous of a musician than i am or of a person than i am of andrew scott come on guys
0: Yeah, I mean, what what can I say to that? Yeah, like his 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 shit is amazing. Again, coming back to the sort of theme here, this whole album is fucking incredible. I, I have so many notes about every song. I don't even know where to go here. Like,
1: yeah. yeah. So, I mean, we could go on for hours about about minutiae in in this album, um, but maybe we should just look at individual tracks and what's happening there, and pick up on tracks that we haven't touched on already, or elements of tracks that we haven't touched on already. So,
2: I can start with if it feels good, do it. Something about, I know it's a Patrick song, but for the longest time, I just assumed that, oh, they all wrote it together equally. Because <laughs> although it sounds like Patrick, you got the riff coming in, he's singing it. It kind of stops there for me in, 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 a, in a way, because, you know, Chris wrote the third verse. And like the post-chorus, that is so just J to me. You know, it's mm. the saccharine, it's like this, it's like the it's the breath of fresh air. But the thing about the ending of the song is it's it's so odd. Like mm. and it to me that's so Andrew, it's just so experimental and just kind of mm. like, why is this going on for so long? And like <laughs> wh- like wh- where like where's the direction here? But it it's so enjoyable too. Yeah. And yeah. so I it's, I it's kind definitely of thought that it was just like all four of them really just kind of gone at it like the other man was conceived too.
0: Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: And also, one fact about this that I realized just a handful of years ago is this song only has one chorus sound off in the comments. That's right. They never actually go back to it. If it feels good, do it. They only do it the one time.
1: Because That's when you right. think they're
2: going back and just go like, da 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 da. It, and it struck me a couple of years back and I was just like dumbfounded, like, wow. Yeah. That like this song has one
1: chorus. That's it's a Chris so thing, cool thing too. Is like to have zero to one choruses in your song. Usually <laughs> yeah. zero.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the whole song is a chorus. It's just the whole thing is perfect, and the ending, it's like fantastic. you were saying, Travis, it's so built for the live setting. Like you can tell. And mm-hmm. this is very evident if you watch the live at Much in uh, in two thousand one right. from late October. You know, with Patrick's doing like the wah-wah pedal, like that ending is so more extreme live. Like mm-hmm. it's like, bam, bam, woo, there's like all kinds of like bends and cool shit going on. And I'll be honest, disintegrates.
1: I, oh, disintegrates. Like it's so live great. when Andrew just starts doing his own fucking thing. And nobody is paying attention and it's just everybody's <laughs> doing their own thing. <laughs>
0: But especially when it was when it was pretty together, if you will, when they were playing the track, like when they were playing that outro, like really focused, you know, there's nothing like it. And I kind of miss it. I literally can't remember the last time I've seen them live and they did Feels Good they with that right. outro. You know, it mm. doesn't have the intro anymore. And I, I guess that's sort of like ergonomically... It maybe is a requirement when they're playing like a, like a big festival or something and they're just kind of trying to get to the hits or whatever. But I mean, in terms mm. of a live setting, like, God, how much more of a turn-on is the intro and <laughs> outro to that song? Like, I mm. miss it so much.
1: Mm. Yeah, man. Mm. We've touched on If It Feels Good Do It as that radio thing. And we also talked about Dreaming of You as, like, Jay loved the track and thought it had single potential. And then maybe it just didn't come across as being complete which i can kind of get because i feel as though that breakdown prior to the last verse or whatever um is kind of sparse and i'm not sure that it ties in well to the rest of the song but dreaming of you kind of singles for me as well like pretty together i know i probably have said this about other albums too but for me pretty together is the beginning of the J contemporary period um Mm. where it's yeah. obviously they've been adults for their entire band career, but this is the first like grown up album. And obviously, you can you can look at the uh, the lyrical content and him as a thirty something year old man and this like kind of subtle crush on maybe a younger woman. Um, but uh, dreaming of you is for me also super interesting because. Like is this is this a mature J or is this sort of still that '90s era J happening here? It's sort of on the threshold, isn't it?
0: He's kind yeah. of right in the line, like I said, uh, and I don't mean to cut you off, Travis, but yeah, like he's no, no. this is this is the Island album for me. This is where everybody's kind of doing something a little different, maybe. Um, and I can touch on the the dreaming of you thing. I mean, this is completely speculative, okay. Would this have been a great third single? Absolutely. I mean, there are a number of songs on here that it, that it would have worked as third singles for sure. Um, "It's in Your Eyes" would be another great one. But um, I'll I'll touch on this very briefly because I don't want this song to be defined by this at all. But it, it's the only thing I, I can only refer to it as weird nine eleven stuff. And I'm talking about September eleventh, two thousand one, New York City. The, this. The, the album is obviously finished prior to this event. And this event takes place right before the album comes out. But you have lyrics in there like next September, which when this was written would have been September 2001. You have number one followed by the nine. He is saying one in 9 nine eleven. I don't know. There are no other numerical references. The seven towers were slowly falling down. World Trade Center seven was the third building to fall on the day. You know, we could go on. If, Slo- if Sloan were kissed, Jay would be ace a sang new york groove which could be incorrectly pronounced as grove bohemian grove uh you know anyway we could get into chris's dead theories at some point anyway the the sloan conspiracy stuff is crazy
2: uh that's amazing
0: j J. howard j howard ferguson e howard hunt there are no coincidences there are no coincidences that's what i'm gonna say
2: wow a little pause there that was great (laughs) <laughs> but I anyway i don't no i don't by any
0: means yeah i don't by any means want that song to be tainted with that obviously and obviously when the record came out that was something that had just happened and of course that was like a huge event for the whole world you know for sure um but uh, and i remember at the time when the record came out like hearing like you know the tower is falling down or whatever the uh whatever the line is seven towers are slowly falling down and i think maybe like somewhere in the back of my brain i went that's kind of weirdly Familiar, you know, to the world anyway. Um, but uh, I think from here on in, I'm just going to call him J stradamus And if people aren't, you know, going to him and getting him to tell them the lotto numbers, and I don't know what, I don't know what else to say. The funny thing too, the pretty together uh, B side that I talked about earlier, there's a lyric in there where Lou Reed says the New York buildings are very high. Like, hello.
1: So the Great Wall, mm. which we haven't touched on yet, which I find interesting, which is monumental i think is the one the one word to describe it which fits so well to the actual topic of the song and the title of the song um is again another like gem that's tucked away in in the catalog and that when you listen to it you're like wow i forgot how good this song is and we you know travis you talked about you talked about that yeah totally you talked about that outro could you maybe elaborate a little bit more on that outro
2: Oh, the the outro was actually for never seeing the ground for the sky. Actually,
1: oh really? Um, okay, but the outro to Great Wall, where the, I think there are horns that are coming in in the background, and it builds up to this giant crescendo. Uh, like every verse and chorus of that song just builds on the last one, right?
2: Yeah, like okay, like the drumming in the song, and just watching Chris play it from like live footage. At least that one great concert from like Ottawa, which everyone. Listen mm. to this, should check out because it's phenomenal. Andrew plays all three songs from this record. It's a pleasure to see. Unfortunately, there's no J songs from this record, which is too bad, but whatever. Um, the groove is so infectious. Um, mm. It's another thing like the bridge of who you're talking to and um, the intro to in the movies, where it's like it's on constant play in my head and it's like i can't turn it off it's so like i don't know it's just like it's wired into my gears um and i love it um yeah it's sometimes i wonder like who played bass here like i guess it was andrew because he typically plays everything when he does his own songs Then i'm like i don't know jay can get pretty freaking funky but i mean then we talk about bass and it's like well chris is the guy um so it also sounds like him a lot. So I don't. Who's to say who played bass on the song? I don't know. Let's just assume it's Andrew. Any of mm. them, it would be phenomenal. Um, I think the chorus is so soaring and those harmonies, just like the other man, when they first come in, it it just it elevates it like, yeah, like you wouldn't believe, like the notes they choose, how they panned it, yeah, and I don't know. It's just it's like this heavenly kind of like, whoa, sustained, not in the musical sense, but just like, whoa, like, yeah. it's so like, I don't know where I'm going, but I'm loving this ride. Mm. And uh, it's actually, a, sometimes I just wish it was a bit longer, but it's not really like something I think about, but just because I love it so much, I just like, there's actually a few songs on this record where I'm like, I could see that beat just being longer in general. Because, yeah, there's some prog semi little little wee prog vibes here and there,
1: sure, and so. Andrew, like this is like Andrew, for me is the pinnacle this is the pinnacle of Andrew's vocals across oh. the entire catalog, because you know, dynamite probably probably like the he's got a great voice, but very raw in the mm-hmm. early albums, but like listen to him harmonize with himself on on all three of his tracks on this album, uh, as well as even Helen, which is less like there's a less silky, obviously production, uh, Mm -hmm. quality there because it was basically produced by Andrew himself, but, um, tying in Brendan McGuire's talent here, probably using a spoonful of Jay as well. And, uh, and those backing vocals on great wall, man, they go down smooth.
0: This is the record for me that, I mean, and, and again, we've talked about commercial appeal and stuff. And not that it's the most important thing. Like for me, I'm listening to these records just because I enjoy them. But I remember at the time thinking like, man, like Andrew's got like multiple singles here, you know, like in the movies. Great Wall easily could have been like radio hits. Like they're just so fantastic and so compact and so perfect. I was listening to this actually earlier today uh, when I was out just running some errands and I noticed, I, I'm sure I'd heard this before, but I, I really loved Little funny stuff like when he's singing that a European climb isn't starving my ego, and as he's singing that the bass is doing a boom 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 boom, it's doing a little climb. So he <laughs> says the word climb, and the bass is doing a climb. Love it. Um, yeah, love I gotta also mention, I i actually when I was out walking and listening to this, it's so funny, it's just kismet. I ran into our buddy Bluesuit Ron from episode three. And uh, or was it episode four? I think it was. At least one of those episodes. And if you haven't heard it, listener, you got to go back and check out Blue Suit Ron. But anyway, he sends his love to everybody. By the way, and because uh, I, I showed him that I was listening to this song, and he mentioned that he remembered around this period, uh, summer two thousand one, going into like album release time, there was a party. Alan McGee, the Creation Records guy, uh, teenage fan club, Jesus and Mary Chain, Oasis, obviously, was in Toronto and there was a party at the lava lounge and I guess Ron was at this and Alan McGee was there DJing the Sloan guys were there. And apparently at the time there was a bit of, you know, buzz about them being on his sort of post creation label called pop tones. And apparently the story goes that the band actually met with Alan and he did like an album listen through. I don't know how far they got into it, but apparently he heard the great wall, which is obviously an Andrew song randomly pointed at Jay and suggested that he should sing it thus making the song a hit single inevitability you know uh and anyway apparently that was the story of alan mcgee and sloan nothing happened womp womp but uh yeah just a funny little sidebar there that there was that he was potentially you know going to be involved at some point but and he had just bizarre very non-sloan advice for them so and there you go
1: <laughs> that's
2: a cool sidebar
1: life of a working girl um Oof. So this is, I think, the first... Is this the first solo instrumental song in the Sloan catalog?
0: Jeez, it might be. Like, yeah. just the man
1: on his guitar? I mean, yeah. depending on how you define solo I instrumental, think, there's... I think so. So this one is like, when you're listening to the album, it does then obviously take a cut after Great Wall, right? And it gets super mellow. But um, this is, again, one of the reasons why I feel as though, like, this is a grown-up topic right this isn't this isn't somebody that I'm crushing on. this might be my sister or this might be you know uh a friend of mine, and I just you know I'm observing how this person has become an adult, and she used to be in the close circle of friends and we used to see each other all the time and whatever party and now she's working you know twenty hours a day this pre two thousand one would not have been the topic of the Sloan song, let alone a Chris Murphy song
2: to me this is like one of the most lovely Chris songs ever to me. It's kind of like new age Nick Drake in a way that was like a recent take I had from it. It's also kind of like an insight into what I wonder what like a Chris solo album would sound like, That this is, it's interesting. It's, it's really quite a, cause musically like, it's like, isn't it like in a weird time? It's like, anyway.
0: Yeah. It could be, it could be played with like a slower swing,
2: like a, yeah, yeah maybe that's why it feels like so odd to me, but it's so like comfortable too. Like there's mm. like an urgency to it clearly, um, obviously with the lyrics, but like mm. the actual playing of it in that kind of like soft synth kind of like oh, and you know how it yeah. how it exits the song and, and how it actually enters it too it's It's doing that thing that I was saying earlier, but like it is kind of playing up the melancholy even just that much more. It's that risk, you mm. know. Like, it's not just an acoustic guitar in his voice. It's like there's other elements playing because, you know, he either thought that it was too empty, and he's like, "Oh, let's just add some more stuff on it so it's like more full," or it's like, you know, mm. "Let's play some other textures to uh, emphasize like what these lyrics are saying and like make the mm. guitar more like I don't know impactful." Mm.
0: I was thinking today it has like a Joni Mitchell vibe almost, you know, like it's it's guitar mm. driven and just the way the way the lyrics are kind of. Poured out like the, the the chorus doesn't necessarily rhyme, you know. Like there's there's rhyming in there, but it's it's got that Joni Mitchell thing where it kind of like the line ends on a um how would you say like um I don't know I don't know how to describe it, but like it's it's not just a I know what you method, mean. sort of it's not like a, t- a traditional pop song template, if you will.
2: And mm-hmm. you're um, probably right too in that it's more like Joni Mitchell than Nick Drake, so that that's probably a yeah, better yeah. observation on your part. And
0: musically, mm. to me, it's very similar-ish, and I'm sure, I don't know that it was necessarily inspired by, um, there could have been a J influence here, but it's very much Back to the Old House by the Smiths. Like, I feel like these two songs are very, yeah. the cording almost feels yeah. the same, sure. you know, like the minors and stuff. Um, anyway, it just sort of feels like it's in that mood. And I love the wordplay of things, like it's a trap I adore, which which mm. he means, he's, he's lyrically saying door, like, but he could trap also door. mean like, I adore, A-D-O-R-E, you know.
1: Yeah, but also the trap door in the stage, right? In the stage that right. she goes through until the encore, right? So it's yeah. a trap door. She's it's a trap and a door, and a door. It's a it's a triple entendre.
0: It's wow. amazing. Triple yeah. entendre Murphy is, I think, his nickname.
1: Like if we talk about songs being too short on this album, I feel as though this is the one that's like, oh, there's another verse, and uh, and you kind of forget it, and you're in the groove. Um, but if you're not in the groove and if you're not really understanding what's going on, I can understand why some listeners just kind of like this is a Sloan album? <laughs> what what am I listening to? I can totally understand if you're a casual fan and you if you just came off between the bridges and you're getting psyched about the new album, you hear life of a working girl, and you get to that moment right before the last verse, and oh finally, okay, let's move on. And then there's another verse. So I get that the sequencing and I get that the the types of music that, that are that are happening on this album aren't necessarily conducive to that sound that you'd gotten on the last two albums. Yeah.
0: Well, I'll, I'll say this. Thank God that they're not making all of the music for the casual fan. Like, obviously they've got, you know, yeah. big singles and shit every couple of years, but like, yeah, I mean, this is why this band is the greatest for me is that they ride that line between these like perfect pop singles and then just deep album cuts like this. And I mean, who, who else did that? You know, the, the greatest bands of all time, you know, like the Beatles and the stones yeah. and blah, blah, blah. And they yeah. are in that musical territory. Bro, Bro. And
1: we don't want them to do the exact same thing. Every album. I don't want to have another 12 on the next album.
0: <laughs> it'll be it'll interesting to hear what the next one sounds like. I can't wait to fucking hear it, man. I want to jump in here quickly. Have we covered pick it up and dial it yet? I mean, we've talked about it a little bit, but officially yeah. I'm going to make my case here, man. Like, It kind of, for me, like when this album came out, like this was the fucking song and you see me actually on the 2001 Live at Much when Rick the Temp fucking throws to me, I go pick it up and dial it like a fucking goofball because I was so in love with that song (laughs) and still end to this fucking day. And, uh, and and to hear years later that it was maybe not a favorite amongst the band members that it wasn't a favorite amongst some fans is just shocking to me because this song is so fucking great you mentioned it earlier travis and i saw them play and i want to say 2001 2002 at the acc and they opened with it this would have been right after they were on bullard oh, with wow. the animal costumes and mm. so they opened with this song and it fucking killed and uh Anyway, for me, it's Chris's sort of answer to to feels good. It's about the same BPM roughly. It's got the middle Mm -hmm. breakdown, the rebuilding section. Um, We talked about the the title being a a reference to the worried now demo. Um, And anyway, so and he's he's fully in his sort of like Paul Stanley character. You know, Um, he's tapping into that role. You know, like call the number on the screen. The title could also be interpreted interpreted. Uh, regarding like someone picking up a guitar and dialing the volume knob to 10 or 11 in some cases, uh, one louder, of course. Um, and, and a funny little note at 2.45 after the break, when he's kind of just by himself, like, now pick it up, pick it up and dial You know, the drums kind of kick back in around 2.45. And apparently this was a mistake. The, the drum part was actually pasted in one bar off. And I hadn't really noticed it until I was uh, listening to it again. And yeah, the drums at that part kind of sound particularly funky and it is a little off. And then obviously when it kind of slams back in, it edits back, it edits back into the straight drums, but kind of a fun little, uh, little happy accident there. My, my, my take on this is I love this song and you know, you know, perhaps it didn't fit in with these other songs, I guess is maybe the knock on it, but uh, it, you know, it's Chris's rock and roll rally and cry. It's another one like feels good, which is just built for the live setting. Hmm. And he is singing hmm. his ass off like i mean listen to the last 30 seconds of this song he is just like destroying his vocal cords. um Hmm. anyway i've always thought this one was such a fun one you know the drums are sort of like on a little loop he's got these like little cymbal hits that are sort of on a separate track it sounds like and the drum and and the song sounds like it was kind of pieced together Um, but it's just such a fun song to listen to. And God damn, if you haven't heard this song in a while, put on, pick it up and dial it and just imagine these guys playing this song live and Chris just shredding his vocal. It's just fantastic. It's just, it's so much musically going on. Anyway, that's my case. Mm -hmm. I love this song.
1: No, I was just going to mention you. You talked about the Molson Amphitheater show in May of 2001. And I know that they'd done, maybe it was just that one show. Maybe it was two or three though, where they'd actually taken some of the tracks that they had ready for Pretty Together and tested them in front of the live audience and pick it up and dial it was one of those songs too. And obviously it got, it got a great reaction. So like you said, you know, made for the live setting, um, production things going on in the intro, drum loop, Brendan McGuire on drums with Chris. And, uh, you know, it's, I think it's an element that we're, ha- we're all happy that it exists. And it's not like, I'm not listening to it for its lyrical content. I'm listening to it because it's this big giant thing it's this statement, and it's kind of funny, too. And I like humor, and I think I like the the cliched vibe that we're getting. And this is something, if you don't understand cliché, like I said before, you're not going to understand pick it up and dial it. And it's not meant to be this big, serious, introspective whatever. So, you know, pick it up and it's, shove it up your bunghole if you don't like it.
0: It's about, as, it's about as serious as feels good, you know. So, to me, they're kind of in the same vein in that way. You know, there's just these awesome, bombastic yeah. rock songs.
1: Yeah. So in your eyes we haven't touched on. Um and I, I like so this is like as a when I when this album came out, I was maybe not that much older than you, Travis. I think it was maybe 17 or 18, 17. Uh, and uh and I love like the like this is a great sort of if I'm crushing on someone and it's a new crush and uh and I'm trying to build on their cues and figure out what they think of me, this is sort of that great song to tie into that feeling, like, oh yeah, I can tell. I can tell that there's something there. It's in your eyes. Uh, and uh, the, <laughs> the, yeah, totally. And even just the sentiment of the song, and it's not like a hard rocker. There's that great drum thing going on. This is the, again, the beginning of Patrick or one of the songs, one of the exemplars of Patrick writing everything in open a. And so you wonder like, man, what are those chords? They sound like those voicings sound really weird. And I remember trying to tab that back in 2001 when I was not, you know, particularly adept at doing things by ear and thinking like, okay, this is obviously an A and that's a D and this is a B and whatever, but it just sounds wrong. And I'm like, oh shit, this is an open tuning. And that was my introduction to the open A tuning was it's in your eyes. Um, but uh, yeah, Patrick wrote a lot of shit in open A at that, um, in that period. I love the, like the overall momentum of the song. And I love that it's super optimistic. This is maybe one of Patrick's most optimistic songs.
0: Yeah, this is top five Patrick for me. I love this song. And and Chris sing, I think that's Chris singing back up on the chorus. These guys are just meant to sing with each other. You know, Underwhelmed, 500 Up, Money City Maniacs, Feels super Good voice. This
2: song, The Super Voice. Yep. Yeah, it's such a well written pop song. Like in it, I love that you know driving beat. Like I never even thought that. Patrick did it i just assumed it was andrew but like it makes sense because it is pretty like straight ahead but like it totally fits and it's like why why change it you know why I,
1: that little yeah. synth riff in the background of the chorus uh, ah
2: yeah. yes oh, it's
1: so so juicy so that, juicy very digital like this is like the the cyberspace type synth
2: that's like that's that's this song's risk that it's doing to me it's going that extra mile and like, can we pull this off? And it's like, yeah, it's actually sick.
0: <laughs> I just, I did, I just love the lyrical choice too. Like just the chorus just sounds great when sung, like get your elevator. Like oh, su- yeah. the words just kind of roll. Just so lovely.
1: Mm-hmm. was anybody else thinking about the band elevator when this thing was released? Cause I was just getting into <laughs> Eric's trip and elevator to hell and elevator. And I'm like, Oh, well I know Patrick's a big elevator fan. Maybe it's like, get your elevator CD off of my floor or so whatever. But
2: that's <laughs> maybe that's just a total coincidence. He's wearing
0: that elevator to hell shirt at the much music video awards in 96. So there you go.
2: You should add it to the dreaming of you video that Rob's going to make.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love a long goodbye. Uh I can't say it any better than my buddy Aaron Pinto who we've had on the show. Our our collective buddy. Uh my my comment on this one real quick is just like this would we'll find a home on any Paul McCartney or John Lennon solo album in the mm. 70s. It's fucking fantastic. You know, John is the rough voice, Paul is the sugar as Fabcast has talked about. Uh Chris is the combination of the two for me. And uh mm. you know, Anyway, so I talked to Aaron earlier today because I remember him having a quote about this song. And this I'll just read verbatim exactly what he wrote me back because it's perfect. He says, I'll just say that it's my number one Sloan song without hesitation. Perfect example of how they can make music that's simultaneously indebted to the 60s while being modern sounding. It's lush, but also hard-hitting, especially thanks to the jerky rhythm of the chorus. And like the best Murphy songs, the vocal melody and bass playing are top shelf. And unlike most mm-hmm. Murphy songs, it's lyrically vulnerable. No wordplay or snark, no masks. Yet somehow, the lines are still so hymn. Clever and thoughtful, confident, yes, yet self-deprecating, and there are so many little musical touches. The tambourine, the acoustic guitar, the background vocals in the second verse when everything but the beat drops out. The guitar solo mimicking, mimicking the intro, but with the band powering it overall i love along goodbye is one of sloan's most undeniable and powerful songs the fact mm-hmm. that it's a deep cut is just a testament to how many great songs they have for other bands this would be their final encore
2: song that, that was really well written that that's really great yeah. the one thing i'll say that aaron didn't say um which is again just me my own opinion but it's kind of got a bit of a cowboy tune to it which mm-hmm. first and last <laughs> time potentially I mean, yeah? like, you can't, okay. you can't deny that guitar solo. Just like, yeah, dun, 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 dun. yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: just kind of following the melody. Yeah,
1: it's a little nice. bit Dwayne Eddy-ish. Yeah, no, I think the, this was the first, I think the first Sloan thing that I tabbed officially and submitted somewhere was I Love Along Goodbye because I love the mm. chord progression. And it's just like that A-form, it's, it's, it's up on a cable one, but that, that, uh, that a form that goes from major to um to major seventh to minor seventh as we've talked about multiple times um and then moving up and down and using all kinds of different uh sus variations and stuff it just it lends itself to building tension and uncertainty in the song while keeping a very simple chord progression so the chord progression in and of itself isn't difficult uh or complicated but using all those different variations makes the listener feel as though I don't know where this is actually headed. Like this isn't a very confident and straightforward song. It's more of a self-questioning song, uh, which is also Mm -hmm. what Aaron touches on. And this is again, like like he said, Chris kind of showing his vulnerability as well, which, Mm. you know, if you look at it from a musical standpoint, fits super with the lyrical content. Very adult decision by Chris Murphy, very grown up song. You finish the song on... I love you, and I hate to draw the curtain, and then it's over, <laughs> yeah,
0: yep, <laughs> and then it kind of goes into a great segue. Are you giving me back my love with Jay getting super like uh, heartfelt and God, I love this song so much it's It's just so gentle and it's 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 all Jay singing, and his his vocals are just raw on display. I love the way his voice sounds here. I remember the Johnny and Noel line at the end. I originally considered just it being a Johnny Marr reference. Like he was just picking a name out of thin air. And then later Mm. I found out that his name is John Howard Ferguson. And then I found out that his girlfriend at the time, uh, Linda Bush, who we see in the, uh, the credits for the albums in the nineties that I remember, I can't remember where I saw this. It was on Facebook or somewhere that her middle name is Noel. I'm like, and then Mm. I was like, Holy shit. He's singing about something that's real. Like, and not that he hasn't done that before. Yeah. He's, he's not making up characters. Like this is legit. And, you know, and he would go on, obviously, to do that with the whole, we've referred to the Cleopatra era later on. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, such a, a crazy moment to find out that, ooh, he's he's really singing about himself here. And that just makes it mm-hmm. so much more poignant.
2: Um, up until this point, I feel like Sloan fans, like especially the J-heads, I feel like when they heard this song, <laughs> they must have just lost it. So like, wow, the most like kind of like, I don't know, like the angel guy of the band, he's like, he's giving you what he's been teasing all these years and it's like, here you go. And it's like, it's, I don't know, it's tenfold of like what you even expect. I think anyways, I can't totally speak to that because I didn't totally know them or whatever before that, but it really does give that feeling to me. And also I'll just Mm -hmm. say the last 20 seconds of the song, like never seeing the ground for the sky. I don't know where it's going, but the chords are amazing and it just could Mm -hmm. go off in a million directions and it's so satisfying and cool. It's like,
1: this is a song that I didn't get for a long time. Mm. And, uh, you know, I understood, I think I understood when I first listened to it, what he was trying to get at. Um, I didn't understand the decision to include it in the final mix and include this version in the final mix, you know, especially when I knew that things like pretty together and Helen and even had enough were left off of the North American release of the album. Um, Mm. and, uh, you know, I think listening to it from a more mature perspective, and then also having more elements of the catalog to work with. So having never hear the end of it in there, and then having um, maybe even Commonwealth in there. From like, for, for in the past few years, I think I've I've come to understand what this song is, uh, and what's happening. You know, musically, lyrically, I think the content is quite obvious, and it's it's um, you know, it's 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 not shrouded in any kind of. Metaphors or anything. It's very upfront. But um musically, I didn't, I don't think I really understood what was happening until very recently when I had other elements of Jay's catalog to work with where I figured out, like, okay, well, this is maybe a reference to this, to this particular influence of his. You know, I think it's something that you really need to be, as you as you said, Travis, I think you need to be a Jay head in order to really get into this. Cause if you're not, and if you're if you're a Murphy head and if you're coming off, pick it up and dial it. And then all of a sudden, Are You Giving Me Back? My Love comes on, you know, and whereas you might have had a very consistent image of songs across all four members in the previous five albums, all of a sudden the discrepancies are huge. So how are you going to, you know, how do you reconcile that? So this is, again, like I'm talking about my own inner journey with this album. I think it's something that if you weren't necessarily on board in 2001, you can get on board later, right? Right you know, we've covered pretty much everything except for the one final album track, Your Dreams Have Come True. Again, keeping it mellow, like we from pretty much from It's In Your Eyes On, there is no upper song, really, right? And we talked about maybe Pretty Together in the ELO original version would have worked as an upper song in the mix. But when you might expect the album to take a sharp rise, like after, after life of a working girl, we go right into never seeing the ground for the sky, which is this big boom,
2: boom, boom. Ta-da.
1: And then after, are you giving me back my love? We get lulled into this, you know, into this mellow conclusion, which is, yeah. to- goes against the grain of anything that the the band had done up until that point.
0: Yeah. And I mean, being called your dreams have come true to me. This song just feels like a dream. In my mind, Patrick recorded this at his, you know, in his home studio, completely by himself. Uh, when I hear it, I think it's like a drum loop. It's him playing everything. As far as I'm concerned, it's so serene. He's singing with himself, which is just always a great sound. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Patrick singing with Chris and everybody else, but when when Patrick harmonizes with himself, it's just gorgeous. I love the electronic and the keyboard flourishes. Um, you know, like I, I put this up there with, with, I can feel it in terms of songwriting, um, and, in, and in terms of the electronics, especially towards the end of the song, like the last 30 seconds of the song, he's beating the Postal Service to this sound by about two years. You know, like, mm-hmm. like uh, what was the Give Up album by Postal Service doesn't come out till 2003. He's essentially making that sound at the end of the album here, which is a really mm-hmm. cool sound to hear. I love the bass line as well. Uh, and he's singing about healing dreams coming true and regardless of whether this is actually about something real you know it's incredibly refreshing and a great note to end the album on like just such an upper the song is perfection for me top five patrick
2: Hmm. yeah it's great i think the fact that it has a, a horn solo is one thing but there's two you know hmm. and it, it kind of it almost almost like straddles the line of like meandering like in the outro of the song it's like it kind of goes on for like longer than one might expect but you kind of don't mind because you've already made it this far anyways and it's also like there's a lot of like there's a lot of things in the song to be uh pleased with and i think yeah. it's like a nice send-off and also another thing about this song and a credit to sloan perfect sequencing once again. I can't, I can't imagine a single song being switched on this record in any place. It yeah, had to end true. with this song, you know? I mean, you yeah. could argue, I love, I love a long goodbye, but that you know, you got the title. It would be, it's kind mm. of like a, not the greatest ender because of, mm. I don't know. But yeah, I, I just, I just want to end with that just because I think it was like, yeah, of course this has to end it. It's like, it totally makes sense. He starts it, he finishes it. Mm
0: great point yeah he patrick is the bookend here and yeah this song is just so perfect in the ending i love the feel of it it doesn't feel like any of the other songs on the album or in or anything in their catalog for that matter it's just beautiful
1: yeah it's you know for me it's the vocals it's 100 percent patrick's vocals we talked about the instrumentation which is fantastic as well but um he knocks it out of the park with his three-part you know his 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 solo three part harmony, and one thing I like about Patrick's um, vocal timbre is that when he harmonizes with himself, his voice is almost too perfect, in the sense that it's so constant and so consistent that the vocals almost phase with each other. Like there's this quality that almost sounds like there's a phaser on it, but that's just Patrick's voice.
2: I have yeah. I which, have thought that same thought before.
1: <laughs> you know, and it's uh. Like, I I don't know how to describe it. You know, it's he's got this, uh, he's not, he's he doesn't have the character in his voice that Chris might have in many regards. He's, it's not like the, he's, he's, got, not the, he's got the
0: sugar voice, yeah. He's got the sugar voice.
1: It's, it's sort of like if I could choose one of the band members' voices to have myself, I would love to have Patrick's voice. I agree, you know, I'd love to be able to do that. Maybe just as a as a closing thought to the album, we talked about never heard the end of it would have never happened without Ash impact happening um and without the other stuff happening before and this is I think like Sloan is out in two thousand one to say we've had the time to uh consider what we're gonna do on this album to really go through our influences and write songs on our own terms because we have this practice space now and we don't have to pay by the hour in a studio or whatever. You know, and we're making we're going out there and making the statement and it might, you know, we're taking risks, as you said, Travis, and it might work out well, which it did. I think the two radio singles worked out well for them. And it might, you know, it might go in the pants as the Germans say. You know, you can <laughs> think about what that means. But I don't think that action Pact happens without pretty together obviously action Pact was a fairly direct response to maybe critical and fan reception of pretty together and i don't think the rest of the catalog happens really without pretty together because so much of what's happening in pretty together is also happening in double cross or commonwealth or 12 yeah. or parallel play or whatever this is for me the beginning of that later phase of the sloan catalog
2: yeah it almost illuminates rob's point about it being an island <laughs> well I mean
0: in terms of like in terms of the way that they record I agree Ken you yeah. know like that they're recording at home and kind of doing it on their own dime and on their own time but uh, yeah I still I would still suggest that musically it's still an island in terms of like where each guy is at and so on
2: right,
1: right. yeah the songwriting right because instrumentation is certainly you can take you can take some parallels between instrumentation here and instrumentation on never hear the end of it or instrumentation sure. on Commonwealth, you know, a lot of strings, a lot of synths, a lot of yep. different types of percussion. Um, but the production style, like very, very silky smooth production. Um, yeah. Jay's fingerprints are all over the production, just like Brendan McGuire's fingerprints are, obviously, as the as the producer. Um, but you're right. I think from a you know from a songwriting perspective, and like Travis, you put it really well. They're going out there and they're trying different styles and they're taking risks. And like, is this an adult contemporary album? whatever that means like is this the most adult contemporary that they've been
2: yeah and is that a bad thing if even if it is which i highly doubt it is it's true it's it's so true it's like i think it makes me think of like pick it up and dial it or something where it's like you know what it's just a fun song at the end of the day like why does everything yeah. have to like fit a certain construct of like okay well it has this and this and this it's just like no it's just like a good tune like you just feel good yeah. when you hear it
1: yeah
0: yeah, the album is doing what every new album from a band sh- should do, which is it's the culmination of everything that came before it, and for me this is that for sure.
1: Yeah. And I think as well, you know, what, while we can say Between the Bridges is this big giant cohesive statement, Action Packed is obviously a very very straightforward like this is what we want to have as our sound. And Never Hear the End of It is almost in its diversity and in its um cacophony and whatever, it's also a cohesive concept. I think the one thing that is lacking in Pretty Together to endear it maybe to fans who like that in an album is that one central idea in terms of songwriting. And there are so many different ideas in terms of songwriting. You know, it's all over the place. So what are you gonna latch on to? Like, how do you how do you define Pretty Together in a word? Like, if I say Never Heard the End of It is eclectic or whatever, or if I say action packed is hard Rockin', or if i say between the bridges is mono or back to mono or whatever what's pretty together
0: i would say it's pretty you know the the songs are all kind of desperate disparate and they're a little you know different here and there the tones are different but it's just beautiful sounding and i mean despite the songs being a little different here and there they sound like they're from the same album like you hear Mm -hmm. any one of these songs and it's just like oh that's pretty together that's from the pretty together song the album you know very easy to pick up
1: Tying this back to is Pretty Together, um, as a whole, better than the sum of its parts, or are the sum of the parts better than the whole? It's something to consider when listening to this album, and we uh, you know you know we do encourage you, listener, to pick up Pretty Together if you're even if you haven't been a fan uh, in the past, and listen from listen to it from front to back. Yeah. Top it off by listening to the three bonus tracks. Um, Absolutely. Give some thought to what we've said, and 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 then just get back to us because. I think that this is an album that has aged so beautifully, and once you know what's happening later on in the Sloan catalog, it makes sense.
2: Mm-hmm. And just one more plug for that—that uh, that, you know, show in the, in and around this time. I think it was in Ottawa. It's on YouTube. Um, type in some keywords and you'll find it. But it's it's just tremendous. It's such a such a great show. Um, mm. Also, just as a drummer, holy mackerel, Chris. <laughs> Chris also. But, I mean, Andrew and Chris just killing it every they're, single song.
0: They're untouchable, untouchable.
2: Yeah.
0: All right, listener. Well, you've got your, your marching orders. Get out there and listen to Pretty Together. Pick it up and dial it all the way up to 10 and enjoy. <laughs> yeah.
2: That's right. Thank you, guys.
1: We'll be, we'll be touching on this topic in future episodes over the course of this year, as it is a Pretty Together anniversary year. And I would love to do a separate episode just for the bonus tracks to this album, because we haven't had enough yet. So Travis, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. And if you do yes. have time in the near future, we'd love to get you back on to dive into PT 2021 again.
2: I, I, I probably do. Well, thank you very <laughs> much.
0: <laughs> and I, I want to mention to the listener as well, check out Travis's band, The Elwin's, uh 4, is their latest. Uh, it's fantastic, but all their stuff is great. Uh, so Travis, again, thanks so much, buddy, for being on. It's awesome to see you. And like Ken said, yeah, we got to have you back
2: at some point. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. All right, man. Yeah.
0: And listener, you want to uh, definitely check out the Murder Records HQ Instagram, of course. Obviously, you got to listen to the Murder Pod, Murder Records mm. Podcast. Uh, the new Tons album, Duly Noted, is out March 26th. It could be already out by the time you hear this. Who knows? Fuzzed Out, uh, Patrick's Band, uh, new single, My Own Worst Enemy, sitting with uh, my back to the walls available across all streaming platforms. Andrew's mm. Paintings. Hey, guys, you can reach him and purchase them directly from him at Andrew W.G. Scott on Instagram. And for Jay, maybe just go to the Sloan Music account and tell him how much you love them Uh, that goes for all the guys come on chicken anyway we'll see you next time on the pod ken a great conversation travis thank you so much for joining us today and remember everybody keep sloning and